Good morning, dearly beloved. Thank you all for joining us today. We are recording from the Plainfield Christian Science Church Independent, Plainfield, New Jersey, the United States of America. So glad you're here this morning. The subject we will be discussing is sacrament. And we will start with our morning prayer. I'm reading from page 10 of Rudimental Divine Science and page 14 of Christian Science versus Pantheism. You must feel and know that God alone governs man, that his government is harmonious, and he is too pure to behold iniquity and divide his power with nothing evil or material that material laws are only human beliefs which govern mortals wrongfully. Set your affections on things above. Love one another. Commune at the table of our Lord in one point spirit. Worship in spirit and in truth. And if daily adoring, imploring, and living the divine life, truth, love, Thou shalt partake of the bread that cometh down from heaven, drink of the cup of salvation, and be baptized in spirit. Both by Mary Baker Eddy. Beautiful, thank you. <clears throat> and our watching point today, Karen. Watching point 193. Watch, lest you believe that at present it is possible for a student to gain such a firm grasp on the reflection of God that he can become careless with it and humanly confident that he can never lose it or be robbed of it. In reality, he cannot lose it, for it is part of his real selfhood. Nay, it is his real selfhood. But in this mortal experience, inspiration seems to be like beautiful birds which come and lodge in the branches of your trees as long as you are kind to them and do not frighten them. At any time you withdraw this gentleness and affection, they will fly away. In our present state of consciousness, it is foolish for one to believe that his consciousness of reflection is so firmly established that he can let go of his persistent scientific effort and still reflect divine mind. It did not matter to Mrs. Eddy how long a student had been a Christian scientist. She respected his spiritual thought and leaned on it only when, as he respected and leaned upon God. If one became careless with the birds of inspiration so that they flew away, she counted him as lost to Christian science until he regained his lost sense of reflection. Thank you. Okay, comments on that? Well, I have, uh, as I've mentioned on many other occasions, we feed a lot of hummingbirds around here. And I was thinking about how if we don't continually put out the, uh, well, not that they don't feed on the plants around, which we've got plenty of those, but to keep the birds coming in the masses that they do, we have to keep the sugar water out there. So I was thinking how to keep them coming, we have to feed them. So to keep the the inspiration, um, I have to feed the inspiration, feed it with the truth, with my love and gratitude for God to keep the uh, inspiration, the spirit always present. Thank you. Yeah, Mrs. Eddie, uh it tells us to stand porter at the door of thought, right? Yeah. And, you know, if a, what happens if a, a guard, a sentry falls asleep? <laughs> Nobody's standing porter at the door. Yeah, and, and reflection is, is such an important thing, you know, and it can easily... Well, it's keeping your window pane polished, right? The mirror polished it can easily become dirty with the cares and the, uh, well, 
pulling us away of the world if we don't watch carefully. And then once that pain gets dirty, we, we are no longer the reflection of God. And that's all of this is based on that. And it's so wonderful that Mrs. Eddy knew this. And it didn't matter, you see, how long a person was in the science. If he lost that, then he was no good to the cause. And um, we, we see this. I was reading recently something about, you know, Mrs. Eddy moving to Chestnut Hill. And again, those workers around her, especially the male ones who had a chauvinist attitude toward her uh, and eventually turned on her, not meaning to in a way or thinking they were doing something good. But you see, they hadn't kept their windows polished. They were no longer reflecting God. Now, they had been. Previously, many of them have written wonderful articles and other things. But at that point, under the pressure of animal magnetism, they were not. What was that quote you remember when we were in Chestnut Hill? Oh, Calvin Pry talking yes. to, uh, I think it was Adam Dickey and at least one other, one other of the male workers there. He told them that what is good for the cause and what is good for mrs eddie is the exact same thing and to think otherwise is error so. yeah they they at that point they were taking wanting to take things into their own hands um thinking that they knew better what was good for the cause yes i think this is, uh, go ahead um, no, I think Jesus is so an example. I look at, I, th I think of him often, how he himself, even though, you know, born of God and all this, he still always, in order to be at one with the Father, withdrew at times to, ref to refresh that inspiration, always being that reflection because of that constant constancy of contact or the consciousness of I'm always with him. Thank you. Thank you, Florence. I, I was thinking of the exact same thing. He would he would spend days in solitude, in prayer to God, before, you know, and then he'd come down out of, you know, after being with God alone for several days, he would come down and, and heal the world. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, he would heal, you know, dozens of people, but he was he was working at it maintaining his relationship with God. So we it's an example of him, of Mrs. Eddy, even as a child praying, as Daniel did three times a day, she prayed even more. So we must make sure we are continually working to be that reflection, or we can lose it. And then the worst thing is when we lose it, and yet we go around acting like we still have it, <laughs> and boss people around or, or do things that, we shouldn't be doing because we're not in that in that secret place of the Most High. We've left the Father's house. Yeah, I wanted to say on that when when I first came, there was a person here, and after a couple of years, um, there seemed to be an issue. And the, but this person would justify it, saying that spiritual sense is never wrong. <laughs> but um, you know, there was just getting very controlling about things, and it was not going well and there's a there's a part in precepts where gilbert carpenter talks about how it's like you, you know you take take a picture on film and before it's developed that's still it's still able to get ruined you know if the wrong light is, shi is shined on it you know it's the demonstration that like fix it fixes it fast and shows what it really is and how important that is to be in the right place. Thank you. Yeah, this person kept referring to all the past things he had done. <laughs> and, and he had done a lot of good things in the past, but um, was beginning to to not be that perfect reflection anymore, but he kept justifying his actions. So anyway, these are things we've seen, things we've had to learn. Usually we learn the hard way. Um Something Carrie sent I'd like to share before we go on, um, because it was what we talked about, I think maybe it was just last week, about the copyright, uh, the law case, and how 
the organization was claiming that they had the copyright to the words Christian science. Um, she said, I'm sending you something I found interesting, and it is copyrighted material from The Cross and the Crown by Norman Beasley, published in 1952. The copyright statement says that I can reproduce up to 500 words without permission from the publishers, which is also interesting. So she's talking about a footnote from page 13. It says, the words Christian science were not original with Mary Baker Eddy, but she was the first to give them wide circulation. In 1840, Abraham Coles used the words in verse, as also did Sarah Joseph Josephia Hale in 1848. In 1850, William Adams published a series of addresses on moral philosophy and called his work Christian Science. Doubtless before 1840, there were others who used the words. However, Mrs. Eddy's use of them was not poetical, but in their widest meaning, the widest meaning she could span, and in their widest application. I don't know if we use that in the law case, but anyway, I thought it was interesting. <laughs> so that's why you can't claim things like that. And, and again, for utter control, to con totally control everything. We're, we're going to get into that in this week's lesson, um, how important it is that the, the word of God has free reign, free reign. All right. The subject is sacrament, and um, a few wrote about that subject, uh, and it is an important one. And those of you who, who joined our watch last night got a very beautiful quote from Mrs. Eddy about what she says about sacrament. And um, I'm going to just read it because I know some of you aren't on our watch. It's an important thing to do if you can. Um, because there was a question even in the forum, someone asking about it. Um, it said that Mrs. Eddy has approached the subject of sacrament with utmost reverence, and in her wonderful exposition of what such communion should be, she tells us in the Christian Science Journal of August 1889, quote, The sacrament shall be observed by a short interval of solemn and silent self-examination by each member, as to his or her fitness to be called a follower of Christ, truth, as to his real state of love toward man and fellowship and communion with Christ, as to whether he is gaining in the understanding and demonstration of truth and love, coming out from the world and being separate from error, growing less selfish, more charitable, and spiritual, yea, walking worthy his high calling, end quote. Just a be beautiful, I don't ever remember reading that before. It was taken from an article um, by Ella Hogue, Communion Services. Anyway, and then it, it goes on, it continues to say, when we do this, truly do this, um, it will help elevate the world. It will certainly help us individually. It will help heal. Uh, we'll be properly improved. will result in greater ability to heal the sick and thus prove to the world beyond the possibility of doubt that the Church of Christ Scientists is, as we read in the manual, page 19, designed to be built on the rock Christ, even the understanding and demonstration of divine truth, life, and love healing and saving the world from sin and death, thus to reflect in some degree the church universal and triumphant. It's just beautiful. And, and we can ask ourselves, and I think it was Louise who found that article and sent it to me. Anyway, um, we can ask ourselves, are we doing this? This self-examination, it's most important because you see, the watching point, that, that's what that's about. You, when you lose it, when you think, oh, I'm doing great, you know, I'm, I'm on a roll here, I'm doing good. Even if you're reading the lesson, maybe, but you're dashing through it. <laughs> it's just this idea of constantly self-examining and asking, am I doing what you would have me do, Lord? 
and staying on that straight and narrow path. So this is the true meaning of sacrament, and it's um, very full in this week's lesson. Also from our church forum, Parthens, he says that a, a sacrament is defined as outward as an outward physical sign of in, inner spiritual reality. And I liked what Jasmine wrote that St. Augustine says, it is the visible form of an invisible grace, a sign of a sacred thing. And then Parthens also puts in an article and, he went, and everyone can read in, from the 1886 Church Association. But then, too, I like this, what um, Jasmine wrote. And this was about the golden text. So I'll have Lillian, you can read our golden text now. I delight to do thy will, O oh my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. Thank you. And Parthens writes that, um, excuse me, Jasmine writes, this mighty psalm inspired me to delve into the abiding principles of surrender and renunciation and link them to Jesus' command, leave your nets. In the main, leave all and follow me, is the call of surrender and renunciation given by Jesus to the disciples. Though Jesus lived and taught renunciation of worldliness, he specifically stressed, love thy neighbor and love thy God with all thy heart as acts of surrender. I find these principles of surrender and renunciation are repeated throughout the Sermon on the Mount and constitute the underlying essence of Christ's gospel. This remind, reminds me of those of you who are watching The Chosen, how Jesus sought out those, didn't he, and asked them to follow him. Yeah. He knew in their hearts, he knew he was sent, as we've talked about, Parthens tells us how he was sent. <laughs> he was sent, he knew what was in their heart. He knew which ones were ready. They had to be ready. And sometimes it would appear like the most unlikely ones, right? Yes, get used to different. Yes, they were all very different. Yes, get used to different. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you never know. They. That's why you don't judge outer outward appearances or anything he well, knew it in their and, hearts and thank god they were different yes mm -hmm. they, uh -huh. they had a different role to fill mm -hmm. yeah, some of them couldn't see it in themselves and some of them <laughs> couldn't see it in each other that's yeah. true that's very true it was a motley group but they were willing and and you know we we saw the example with peter having to leave his wife and but how willing she was to let him because she saw how important this work was. We saw in uh, Nicodemus, I mean, we just cry through that, how hard he wanted to follow Jesus. Uh. <laughs> but he, had, he felt he had too much that he was leaving behind. And that was quite anguishing. But we've studied in our Bible study that eventually he did. He mm -hmm. did. He did it. He did it. So good for him. I think he still followed in the distance even, you know. He still saw, he saw what was in Christ Jesus and perhaps all that in term of, it's, we don't know the things that he did uh, edifying Jesus. So yeah. We don't. We know he was there at the cross, though. Yep, and he helped to carry him. Yes. To the grave. Yes. yes, he was there. And then afterwards, according to one commentary, he did leave it all behind and was greatly persecuted for it, but he did. So, and then and then we have the example in Mrs. Eddy's home, don't we? Where people were asked to come. And again, she she read what was in their thoughts and minds, their willingness, their hearts. Um, that story about who was the the guy that drove the her? Oh, 
Yeah, so, yeah. So. And he would he would when someone was being interviewed and he oh, yeah. he knew the person wasn't gonna make it. He would just wait out there in the <laughs> in the carriage. In the carriage to take him back to take him home <laughs> because he knew it wouldn't be but a moment and he would be sent flying home or she. But they, again, they were willing, weren't they? They were willing to come and serve because they saw it as the greatest thing, the pearl of great price. And her demand, it was usually three years, but there were those who stayed longer, like Laura Sargent, Calvin Fry, and others. And then in, in a much maybe more modest way, but this was something that went on in this church. People came, I won't say from the world, but from the United States of America, all around, they came and moved here to do this work. And Africa. And Africa, <laughs> yeah, can't Nigeria. No, can't forget. Thank you. That's right. Thank you. I hope I didn't forget anyone else's nation. Anyway, um, and people will, and I'm bringing this out because people will ask, "How did we do what we did?" This is how we did it. It takes that kind of dedication. It takes relinquishing all. Now, we have three people in our church now that have come fairly recently and, and with this dedication, and they're all working, very good workers in Plainfield. And, and you know, it's Jeremy, Linda, and Shardy. Mm -hmm. They were ready to drop everything and come. We don't demand that anymore. And, and Mrs. Evans, in a way, demanded it because she knew she had this purpose that had to be fulfilled, and she needed a group of wise group of small group of wise thinkers which she cultivated so and now we did not in, in her time we did not have the internet presence that we have now so you can all come and come at various levels but if you really want to know this science, if you really want to revolutionize this world, if you really desire to bring in the millennium, you must follow in these footsteps and sacrifice all. Put it on the altar. It won't happen any other way. It has not happened in any other way. What has been greatly done for the world has been done with this kind of love and sacrifice. Thus, the subject, sacrament. I never liked the subject. This one is the one that probably I least liked because <laughs> it was all about all about what I'm saying, which who wants to do that? <laughs> really, It sounds kind of horrible. But the point is, it's not horrible. And everyone and she says it doesn't she in science and health, every man, woman and child must in some way take up this cross and follow the master. And we're all different. You're all being asked to do various things. And there's certainly no judgment here. But in reading what Jasmine wrote, this is what brought to mind in those three times it was required. I don't know. Maybe it's been required other times in other places that I don't know about. But those are the three that I do know about. So this is the importance of this work. And as was brought out in the Wednesday readings, you know, obeying God's commandment to do this is not grievous. Because anybody who does it overcomes the world. Imagine overcoming the world. The peace of that. Overcoming all the fears and all the nonsense that the world is throwing at you, you can overcome it, have dominion over it, if you just focus on what is right and true and follow and sacrifice all. Because you're not asked to sacrifice anything that is good for you. <laughs> That's the thing. That's a that's the thing. The only thing you're really called to sacrifice is is sin, disease, and death. And sin has its many many myriad forms. And one of the main ones is your personal sense of things. 
that you own things, that you love things, that you love your home, your family. And it, it doesn't mean that you love it any less. It'll mean you love it all the more because you'll learn a Christly love, the divine love that not only loves what you think you own, but the world itself, even the blade of grass under your feet. They remove the toxic element of it. Yes, thank you. The toxic element of it. All of this must be done. And this is true Christian science. This idea that you're in it just because you've got a problem and you want to ring that bell and have God come down to you and fix everything. No, thank you. I, that's what I thought it was, but I've since learned. So this is, this is walking the walk. Now, in the, in the um, golden text, it says, I delight to do thy will, oh my God. And in a, another Carrie article sent by Carrie by William P. McKenzie, a beautiful, I guess it was a, I guess it's just an article, Love Revealed in Character. He says about joy, the cordial acceptance of spiritual law and guidance yields a joy deeper than gladness and more intense than happiness. It is found where self-will and its regular, irregular emotions have yielded to, quote, that good and acceptable and perfect will of God, end quote. The true man through Christian science comes to the place where he can say, I delight to do thy will, O God, because he has become scientifically certain that God is good and never the author of evil. Jesus, who taught his disciples the truth about the divine will and came not to do his own will, but the will of love, assured them that they would not find their satisfaction transient. Your joy no man taketh away from you, he said. So this is the greatest joy there can be. It's not drudgery, believe me. The other is drudgery. Look what the world offers. Look what it's offering now. Who wants it? I sure don't. It's always a disappointment. It's always a disappointment. So whatever degree you can follow the Christ, in whatever way, in all the things we talk about each week, in praying more, dedicating yourself more, making sure whatever job you're in, you're doing it for God, not just for personal gain, but for God. All these ways you are helping to live the sacrament and not just talk or read about it. Okay, Jeremy, you spoke about the golden text. Do you want to? Yeah, just... I, I guess just more of the same along that, the delighting to do his will. You know, I, there was a time I would have thought that was kind of a laughable concept. <laughs> like you would have to put aside everything you really want to do just to do this, like really dry penance or something. So to yeah. learn that that's not the truth and not what's necessary is, is really wonderful. And to, since we're his image and likeness, it makes sense that his will is what we want to do and what we're here to do. So I'm grateful to learn that. Thank you. Well, there's nothing, you know, there's nothing better than knowing that you have a divine purpose for your life. Right. There's nothing better than knowing that, you know, you, you aren't just here accidentally. <laughs> you're, you're here for a reason. And, and when you realize that you are here for a reason and you find a connection with your creator who gave you that reason, your, your life, you know, opens up. I mean, it's, it becomes something of value. And what could be better than that? It's nice to know that we're all doing his will. We're all going to be marching towards some... <coughs> We're all going to be helping each other. It's go. It's nothing's going to be in controversy. You know, it's all going to be helpful. It's not useless or just vain. But we're going to be in harmony with each other. Well, and that is what we have proven in this church over the last fifty years or whatever. 
that when when each individual of us does what God wants us to do, we work together in harmony, and we do and we can accomplish incredible amounts of things. It's living stones doing right. Yes, living yeah. stones. We each in yeah. our place. Yeah. And Whatever no, we are. Wherever we are, that's right. And there's no conflict. Like Craig said. And when there is, that's always a red flag. So, but normally there isn't. And, um, but as I've said, I always like constructive criticism because we can always do better. And self-examination, again, of ourselves, of what goes on in the church, we always be working to make it better, holier. Now the next, the responsive reading, and again, Carrie, she sent me up. Oh my gosh, I have a book of things. <laughs> Every week she does. This one was on the 119th Psalm. And we've, we had a beautiful, um, Tom led a, us in a beautiful Bible study of that Psalm. I won't ever forget it. Um, and, and if those of you who haven't listened it's good to listen to these things. The things we've recorded here, I feel, are timeless. Anyway, in this article um, from a 1905 issue of the journal, it says the 119th Psalm is the longest of the sacred songs. It has 176 verses and is divided into sections of eight verses, each section being headed by a letter of the Hebrew alphabet of something we learned in the Bible study. The psalm was written by Ezra, the greatest teacher of the scriptures, to be sung by the captives on their homeward journey from Babylon to Jerusalem. It is an elaborate apotheosis of the law of God and is intended to show the blessings which spring from piety and obedience. The word law occurs 25 times, statutes 22 times, judgments 21 commandments precepts and testimonies are each used more than 20 times this reiteration seems intended to show the need of constantly recalling the laws to mind and then christian scientists who are endeavoring to find their way out of the mazes of mortal mind and aren't we <laughs> may learn a lesson from the Israelites of old, who sang and sang again of their laws, precepts, and commandments. Thus should we perseveringly seek to have all of God's laws impressed upon our thought. And in so doing, we should include the bylaws and rules contained in the manual of the Mother Church, which are given us by our beloved leader as a guide through perplexing situations into the promised haven of harmony, we should each consult the manual and become familiar with its contents and prayerfully meditate upon all its requirements. And of course, all the other works of Mrs. Hetty as well, because so many so-called Christian scientists do not know what's in prose works or signs and health. Or the manual. Or the manual. And we go by the 88th. Someone recently told me about someone questioning why we do that and listing all the reasons from the organization why the 89th is the right one. <laughs> <laughs> the changes that were made were subtle, okay, but they were very important. And the main one is where they changed the ability to have independent churches giving the board of directors total control over not only the church in Boston, but all other churches. There, my friend, that is what's made the difference. So, but you need, it's a good idea, and it's something I honestly say I don't do. I should, I should do, study the manual and know everything that's in it so we can't be twisted around by what someone else says. Seems to me you should only have one reason why it's right you wouldn't have to come up with a bunch if you were right well the only that, reason is because well, that's the one mrs eddie <laughs> well that's true that was the last one that mrs eddie authorized that's right and, and we've done that 10 there's 
her to make changes to it, and she refused. And the reason she refused was because it was what God told her was necessary. <clears throat> but, you know, if you're in the organization, you're not going to know about any of this. And, and there's no use arguing with anyone about it. It's useless. I mean, you can get, present what you feel is, is true and then just let it, let it go. Just as Jesus made sure whoever followed him, you had to have a readiness for it. You had to be ready. If you're not ready, then you're not ready. Then, and, and if you like the organization, if it's, you feel it's been good to you, well, good go for, for you. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> we have, there's no strife between us. But at the same time, we are going to present what we understand to be the truth. We have to. And I so, will, you know, um, probably ought to point out that uh, not only did they make some subtle changes, changes as you said, for the, excuse me, the manual, uh, <laughs> but they don't want to tell that. us. But they also deleted the last fruitage in Science and Health, which was a beautiful ending to Science and Health. Yes, yes, they changed signs and health, too. And that's easy for people to see. All they have to do is look at uh, a copy that was published when she was alive, right? That's and right. And yeah. one published today. That's correct. Easy. Very, very true. Florence. Well, I don't think they, my understanding is they didn't eliminate it. They switched the last two around to have a different ending, but as far as oh, I Oh, interesting. Think, I didn't know it was still in there, so that would yeah, be they are. still in the science. Yeah, they yeah. just switched them okay. around, and if you read the end of huh. one testimony as opposed to the other, you can see why they switched them, because I couldn't figure out why would they do that. But there's clearly, a, you can see the reason why. <laughs> okay, I didn't know it was still in there. Good. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they did. Actually, they did remove a testimony um, somewhere in there. They did, but it wasn't those. But because the, Mrs. Eddy did say they could remove one if they were found, if, if the one that took. Anyway, she did give them a reason or a ability to remove a testimony, and they did. But it wasn't those. Well, I always get suspect finished. about that because all the things that they do, they say Mrs. Eddy gave them instructions for it. It's not <laughs> written anywhere. I, I agree with that. I, I don't know where some of this comes from. So, um, but I do know it was another thing Carrie sent me that some of the things they changed or, well, they went back to the person who was healed and maybe they were, they were no longer healed or something. Well, my goodness, if we did that in our church, we'd go investigating. That's ridiculous. The time the healing took place and it was wonderful. And that's the truth, period. I mean, we can't just be foofing and fiffing and fuffing around. That's ridiculous. That was their alleged reason for doing this. But again. But that's, again, that's the human mind saying, well, it would have happened anyway. Or maybe, you know, or, or, or maybe this or maybe that. To try and, and nullify the law of God that does heal. That's the intent of stuff like that. And, and which is true. The healing, the healing is true, right? That's what's the truth. So why go back and fiff and foof and fuff? No, we're not going to fiff and foof and fuff. We're going to stay with the true healing. And um, anyway, they, they, it's the matter of getting into the human mind. So, but I digress. Well, I must say it, it makes no sense. I mean, Mary Baker Eddy spent decades updating and reviewing science and health. So to say that she uh, did it imperfectly, I just don't get. Thank you very much. You know, I agree exactly. 100%. And that goes for the manual as well. Yes. Right. She, she, did not, she did not give the directors permission to violate the estoppel clauses. She never, that's a, another big thing in the manual, the violation of the estoppel clauses. All of this human reasoning that they give, but it will appeal to someone else who is in the human mind and wants to be intellectual about this whole thing. If you have a clear sense of what's going on, it, it can't touch you or confuse you. So, all right, circumcision, Karen. Oh. <laughs> 
Well, I don't know if you want me to read read what I wrote. No, no, I don't. Highlight it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, it 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 just means when I looked it up, it just means for all. Um, let's see, I looked it up in the Webster's, and it means to remove all desire to sin. And so I thought, and then when I found this commentary, I thought it was beautiful how it just talked about how, well, it was just the very end where it says that the, even though what seems to be going on in the world today, you know, with a turning away from God, he says they're very far from this state of mind at present, but, are, but so were the murderers of the Lord Jesus on the day of Pentecost, who yet in one hour were converted unto God. So shall it be in the day of God's power. A nation shall be born in a day. The Lord will hasten it in his time. And this, this um, commentary was also explained that what they were talking about, the Bible was talking about Israel, was really meant for all peoples and all nations. So I, I just saw it as God's promise that he... Only he's going to turn this around and can, and, and we just have to trust him and turn to him. And, and um, I don't know, I just thought it was a beautiful commentary. And then at the end in Ephesians, where it says, um, the commentary says, he chose, it's already been mentioned this morning, he chose us as his own. Literally, he chose us out of the world for himself. So that's why we're here. To express him, to be like him, and to be his appearing. And I just thought it was, uh, I've been using it actually for my watches, too. Thank you. No, I love I love that, the idea, what, what cannot God do? Sometimes we think we have such a great thing to do, but God can do it all in a matter of moments. Um, yeah. And that thought, though, circumcised, to remo- remove all desire to sin. That that is beautiful, and that that's the truth, and that's what we must have within ourselves: this circumcised heart that no longer desires desires to sin, that's made tender um, by the Lord. And from a, go ahead, please, Florence. Go ahead. Oh, I think this this feeling of this desire not to sin comes to people at different times. Uh, for example, some people, it's in, when they're in prison where something happens to them that they become so aware of what they really are that the desire to sin, to do wrong again when they know it's wrong, it, it leaves them. And uh, there are several um, accounts of that. When people one-on-one, in their heart, they feel like, no, maybe the, the feeling is you're better than that. Well, just like in The Chosen, he said, this is not for you. Um, it's beautiful. Yes, yes, it is beautiful. And he talked to Mary Magdalene. Yes, it's, it's so true. I mean, how often does that happen? And that's what we pray. We pray for ourselves, not to have that desire to sin, to have it removed, circumcised, and for all others. This is what, this is taking up the cross. This is bringing in the millennium. And yes, I I do want to make sure it doesn't require moving to Plainfield necessarily, but it requires the, the, the similar action in thought where you leave it behind the past and the baggage and are willing to go forward. And that's very important in your growth. Yeah, because of the internet and everything, nobody anywhere has any excuse. Well, that's absolutely right. <laughs> nobody anywhere has any excuse. So and we have the beautiful story now of Josiah and and um, in the uh, on the carousel. There's a beautiful article, Adam Dickey, the covenant his father made. And it's one to read, and we've all talked about this many times during the roundtables, making your covenant with God that you promise your total obedience to him. And when you do that, it promises back that you will be well cared for. We do it individually. We should do it as a nation. 
And it was interesting, too, in Carrie's research, she picked up on the idea that Hilkiah, the priest, found a book of the law of the Lord given by Moses. And it says um, in this commentary, McLaren's Expositions, the book had been lost before it was found. For how long do we not know, but the fact that it had been so carelessly kept is eloquent of the indifference of priests and kings, its appointed guardians. Lawbreakers have a direct interest in getting rid of law books, just as shopkeepers who use short yardsticks and light weights are not anxious the standards should be easily accessible. If we do not make God's law our guide, we shall wish to put it out of sight, that it may not be our accuser. What more sad or certain sign of evil can there be than that we had rather not hear what the Lord the, the Lord God will speak? And then accepting the narrative as it stands, we may see it in striking instance of the indestructibleness of God's word. His law is imperishable, and its written embodiment seems as if too had a charmed life. When we consider the perils attending the transmission transmission of ancient manuscripts, the necessary scarcity of copies before the invention of printing, the scattering of the Jewish people, it does appear as if a divine hand had guarded the venerable book. What the world calls accidental coincidence, deeper wisdom discerns to be the touch of God's hand. The only reformation for an effete or secular, secularized church is in its return to the Bible. Faded flowers will lift up their heads when plunged in water. The old Bible discovered and applied anew must underline all real renovation of dead or more abound Christianity. I think, I think that's so beautiful. No matter what they try to do to hide it, God's word to get rid of it, they don't want it <clears throat> accusing them of all their sins keeps keeps coming up keeps reappearing and i thought how true too of the so-called unauthorized literature all they did to get rid of it everything they did uh-uh still here still working and still blessing and still blessing millions of people sometimes people will ask me how did we get all these things I honestly don't know. <laughs> I mean, people just came and started giving us all these things. I remember the, a scene. I don't know if any of you have seen the, the movie National Treasure with Nicolas Cage. But somewhere in the end, he, he comes upon, he opens the door, and there's this room full of treasures. That's all I remember about the movie. But that's how I felt when we got all these books. Holy camoly. <laughs> this no, is Greatest teaching there is, Martha Wilcox, Bicknell Young, other than, of course, Christ Jesus and Mrs. Eddy. But the, these books are priceless. Go ahead, Florence. No, I said they're sent. God knows where, you know, to channels them through to for the world. That's it. Thank you. Exactly. Yep. That's so true. So. And that's why we continue to bow our heads in humility at what God is doing here yeah so very very grateful for all all the good that's come and for everything including our wonderful excommunication which allowed all this to take place and and then finally in a pile of papers from carrie there's one beautiful one also about traditions and um you know in in mark seven it talks about all those traditions tradition of the elders and how damaging all that is. Last week in the watching point, it, it was about, uh, you know, if, if our concept of God doesn't grow and change, then that's not good. And how this, this is what crucified Christ Jesus. This is what would try to crucify Mrs. Eddy. The traditions, I don't want to, I have to hang on to these traditions. This is what's true. We, we follow them to the letter. But there's no spirit or God in them. And, and it's going on now. The traditions of Materia Medica. It must be obeyed and bowed down and worshipped. It's, it's where the healing is. Materia Medica. Right? 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's happening and it will continue ha- to happen. And Mrs. Eddy says that, that it will continue to happen to every pioneer, every worker. So there's a, a couple of beautiful articles about the tra- traditionalism and one from uh, an 1897 issue. Now here it was happening then. Uh, it is by the editor, which we could be Mrs. Eddy. Traditionalism has sought to stereotype the Bible as well as deity. It has defined its scope and meaning and tolerated no departure therefrom. But notwithstanding its bold assumptions, it has not exceeded in obscuring the light shining through the pages of the sacred word. It is coming more and more to be understood that the Bible is a book of infinite meaning, meaning treating of treating of an infinite subject of infinite unfoldment that in it its deepest import it is related to the eternal and it goes on but it also says to let are we as christian scientists running into the era of traditionalism are we doing this criticizing others and you know if you don't do something a certain way then out you go i mean that's what led to our excommunication we didn't do something in a certain way, so forget about it. So it's a very important article, and tell Jeremy it should be put on the okay. in our archives on our website. Okay, and now we're going to end on an article that I thought Gary could have written. <laughs> it's called The Law and the Gospel, and it tells about how living this truth, this sacrament, truly living it individually, will change our governments and our world. And this is uh, from the 1910 issue of the journal, and it's excerpted from an article, The Law and the Gospel, by Richard P. Verrill. And he quotes, When Moses came down from the mountain, after having received the law from God on Sinai, he wrote down all the words of the Lord in the Book of the Covenant, And when he had read them in the audience of the people, they answered with one voice and said, All that the Lord hath said will we do and be obedient. In the light of the Hebrew scriptures, it is apparent that the Decalogue, as authorized by God and proclaimed by Moses, constituted in effect a theocratic democracy. For it was spontaneously adopted with one voice by the people. It provided for a form of government in which the legislative power was derived from God. The judicial power was exercised by divinely appointed judges. And the executive power was vested in the people. The spirit of the law, like the gospel which followed it, was that of peace on earth and goodwill toward men. The preparation of a willing and obedient state of consciousness in the people seems, therefore, to have been the chief consideration of both Moses and Jesus. Speaking of this state of mind as a sanctuary in which he might dwell, God further said, There I will meet with thee, and I will commune with thee, of all things which I will give thee in commandment. The construction of the Ark of the Covenant, with all its appointments, was but an outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual idea. It stood for that consecrated state of mind, or holy of holies, into which the pure in heart alone can enter to commune with God and from whence the covenants of God shall be given out continually to meet the growing requirements of advancing understanding. End quote. Thank you. It goes on. We'll put that on our website, too, all of these website liberator. Thank you. Thank you all who contribute each week. Um, very, very grateful. And thank you all for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.